Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today I'm back in the studio doing what I love to do, recording more podcasts. We've got a special guest with us. And I say special, they're all special guests that we have on our podcast, but this one's a little bit special for me. Um, I've got Robert and Laura Gant on the phone in the studio coming all the way from North Carolina, but they live in South Carolina. They, they took a little trip up North to have a special weekend together. And, and, and I said special for me because if you've been following Project Purple, you've probably seen the picture of Robert a couple of times that we've used on our social media and our emails of the gentleman during the COVID pandemic who is standing at the window with a surgical mask on with lab results up against the window showing his wife. And full disclosure for our audience listening at home, I was introduced to Robert and his wife, Laura, through one of their daughters, Laura Jane. And she was following us on social media and, and we had started to post about our face mask program. And she had sent me the picture of her dad and it brought me to tears when she told me the story about how Robert's been battling for over two years now, I believe. And his wife, Laura, has been by his side every single day of this journey that they've had to deal with pancreatic cancer. And that was the first time that she couldn't be with him. And he was showing the results through the window and she was outside the, the, the center there waiting patiently to see what was going on and hear what was going on. And it just broke my heart at that time. You know, we were early on in the COVID pandemic and patients, you know, the, the public wasn't really aware of this, this harsh reality that our patient community was dealing with, having to go in and fight this cancer all by themselves and leave their loved one at the door. So with that introduction, I want to introduce you to Robert and Laura here in our podcast. And as we do always, Robert, we allow our guests to share a little bit of your story. I know I've given you kind of an introduction here, but I know there's a lot more that's involved with that. And as I always tell our guests, you can go as far back as you want about your journey and about your background, about your family, and you can stay as high level as you want, and then we'll go from there. Well, Dino, that sounds great. And uh, I would just say that picture that my daughter, Laura Jane, posted that brought us together is sort of it's very symbolic of our family. And just like you said a minute ago, that was at the beginning of the COVID-19. And those were uh, safety precautions that SCOA in Columbia, South Carolina, was taking not to allow <clears throat> people to accompany patients. Now, there are some special circumstances that they do allow accompaniment, but we we were two years into this process and, and it was good. It's been going well, but it, and I will, I, as full disclosure, I was a little bit being a smarty with that to post. So I put those two sheets of lab work results against the window for my wife, who was in the parking lot below, knowing she couldn't read them at all. So <laughs> We were just having a little fun with it, I guess, at the same time. You have to, you really do have to, have to 
laugh along with it sometimes. But um, but the background of that is if you met Lauren, you you may meet her sometime, and you're gonna meet her in a few minutes over the phone. But from day one with this journey, she has kept uh, the most intricate, detailed notebooks and notes, every piece of lab work, every scan, every result. And on several occasions, those items have saved the day or moved us forward, especially in the early parts of getting diagnosed. It moved us forward in getting to a diagnosis. As you know, sometimes it's it's hard to to finally get that diagnosis with the, the doctors know what's going on. So that's the history on that lab work in the window. But it did, I think it does point out, I will tell you this, I have I have chosen during this time frame, since we have options to do it now, we we were on a track, but we picked up our 13-year-old granddaughter every day from school. She was a middle schooler. She's going to be a high schooler next year. That's the Laura Catherine in our life. But anyway, we would pick her up every day and have to be in the carpool line. Everybody listening to this probably knows about carpool lines, but we would need to be there sometime around 2 2.15 in the afternoon, 2.30. So it kind of eliminated an afternoon uh, treatment cycle. But what I have done since the COVID-19 has come about, I've, I usually go in now around midday for my treatments. And by the time I'm in there at an hour, the whole treatment center has really, um, as far as the activity, it has slowed down. Because most people... I found this from day one. Most people like to get in, get in early on their day of treatment if they're doing chemo and then be through with it. Some of them travel distances that require them to do that. So I'm getting too detailed on that. But I will tell you, the afternoons have become our time. Laura usually goes with me, even though she's not going to get to go in. She won't do it any other way. And she walks in the parking lot. She has her lunch, she reads a book, and we wave occasionally. So it's been a great family support hmm. from that angle. Anyway, I want you to, I'll let Laura introduce herself right now. Absolutely. Sometimes it gets hard when you're talking about it and bringing it all kind of to, um, up in front and to reality, I guess. Uh, but he'll he'll recover in just a second. And he'll be able to talk to you. But um, but we have really I have tried my best to make sure that this is a together thing. I don't want him to ever feel that he has to go do his treatments or go through any of this without me being right by his side. Um, so anytime I ever talk about treatment, I'll say, uh, well, we have our treatment today, and I will maybe have to plan that for another day, or we're going to get blood work today. Uh, so it's almost as if I'm the person that's getting it too. And one of the very first visits we ever had at our uh, SCOA um, place, we met this lady, and so we were standing there and I had all my books with me and stuff that I was, you know, making and doing while going through our little journey. And she said, well, which one of y'all has the cancer? 
And so we got so tickled at that and we laughed and we, we laugh about that pretty frequently because every now and then Robert will say, which one of us has the cancer? <laughs> so, so that it, I think for the person who is going through treatment, I really, my heart goes out to anybody who has to do that journey alone. Um, and if you know somebody that's trying to go through something like that, it would be such a probably welcome thing for somebody just to say, hey, let me go with you and sit with you during the three to five hours you've got to be there. And as soon as places open back up and we'll let people go again. Of course, I'm, I'm wondering, we've talked about this before. It might be that places like SCOA and other cancer treatment centers might not open back up again because I have really felt okay with Robert going in there. We have really tried to stay distanced from everybody, including our children. We have one child that doesn't, um, she is a doctor. Mm -hmm. And so she, of course, is super worried about coming in contact with us. So we haven't touched her in over four months and Mm -hmm. she is a real hugger. So we have missed that part. We have seen them twice, uh, but she sets up this little area that has a fencing around it and that's where Nana and Papa get to sit and the kids can come up as close as that fence is and talk to us but we don't get out of the fence and nobody comes in comes in yeah it's like your own little <laughs> so, pen uh, yeah Laura, but I, I got a question for you I want to jump in here okay. quickly the okay. notebook I mean you know so where did that idea come from because I you know when I when I heard the story and, and Laura Jane and I were communicating and, and there's another story that I, I want to bring up here in a minute but she mentioned that you know you had the notebook was yeah. that something that you just like inherently you know were you a planner before did you read about because I I, I thought that was a great idea and, and I look back at my own personal experience with my dad and I remember leaving oncology when we were given the diagnosis finally, and they hand you, you know, this tons of yeah. materials, right? Like what yeah. to expect for chemo, what is cancer? And a lot of it's really generic. Um, and that's yeah. where I've always said like, you know, pancreatic cancer is so specialized. Not only do you need a specialist in terms of like treatments, but also like when you talk to other people, like when you talk to, and, and I know this cause my mom is a two-time breast cancer survivor, her treatment protocol and what she experienced was a complete 180 degrees from what my dad experienced. So yeah. was there somewhere along the, the way or along your journey here that someone said, hey, do this? Or you just said, hey, I'm going to start this notebook? Well, I think it came about because um, our dear friend um, that we have lived close to and beside in our same backyard for over 40 years She had breast cancer about, I guess, three years before Robert was diagnosed. And she gave me the book that you're talking about that Mm -hmm. every cancer patient gets. Uh, It tells them what to expect. It it lists all your doctors and who the PA is and 
um, I mean, and the kind of chemo you're going to be getting and the uh, side effects from it. And it, it was just a little um, kind of like a pamphlet, but it, it was um, and it had lots of great information in it. And so I started carrying that. And then I thought, I mean, everything was I was getting, I was sticking in that book mm-hmm. and that little pamphlet. And I said, I just got to get something better than this. So I bought myself a um, two-inch ring binder. Well, that lasted about, mm, I guess, maybe two months. And I had to go to a a binder that's four inches. And since then, I I have now got two of those. That's how much stuff I keep every um, blood work he gets, it's mm-hmm. dated. And every time he goes in for treatment, they weigh him, they do um, his blood pressure and heart rate. And on the top of every one of those pages, that information is in there. And as a matter of fact, that um, keeping that and having a a good thing to kind of go back and check the, especially the heart rate. He had a problem a few months ago with the heart rate and his heart rate was so high. They wouldn't give him his chemo Mm. and send him straight to um, a cardiologist. And now after we went to him and he got us on some medication, we went back in a couple of days and we got our treatment because I'm, real um my girls are real i don't know what you want to call it they want to make sure he is getting his treatments every single week he doesn't they don't want us to bypass any of them we've had occasion that we were going to be going out of town and we asked about that but none of them would agree that we should skip a treatment so we have not done that but um, but keeping that information, and especially like the scans, I have every scan he has ever had, and I have the final report printed. And when we go to other doctors and they want to see that or want to at least read what the last results were, I mean, I have it right at my fingertips, and I can give it to them. And when... Robert was telling you that it was kind of hard for them to diagnose him at first. He had over 16 biopsies and Mm. none of them showed pancreatic cancer. And when we went to see our oncologist, um, my daughter, she said, she asked him, she said, on one of the very first MRIs that he had, it, the radiologist mentioned that he saw darkness in his lung and they just considered that those were shadows. And I said, would you take a look at that and see? And, and I told him about that. He said, I want you to go right now and get a lung CT scan. We, he went downstairs, he got the lung CT scan. He came back. And Dr. Mentor said, um, we need to have a biopsy of that. So the very, I, it was maybe about three or four days. And we went 
and had a biopsy done. Well, when the uh, doctor was going to do the biopsy, he said, now I'm just going to go and try to look and see the best I can to get, you know, a good sample. And because he didn't have anything to look at. And I said, well, I have the CT scan, the lung CT scan. He said, you're kidding. You got it with you? And I said, yes, I do. So that saved us, I feel like, days of trying to figure out um, how to get the right place to get the biopsy. And um, because it, they would have sent us to somewhere else to get another picture. But, yeah. So that part of the book is just. I mean, I I really feel like we have used it so much. And one other real quick thing, and then I'm going to give this phone back to Robert. Um, <laughs> well, I got a couple of questions that, for you left. I'm not letting you go there right away. <laughs> the one thing that I wish um, someone had told me or told us at the beginning of this to say, now there are going to be glitches. Mm -hmm. don't worry about that it's just it's normal for some of that to happen because after he got his very first chemo the we went back for our next one the following week he couldn't get the treatment because his um platelets, platelets were too yeah. low yep and uh and mm -hmm. so anyway we were okay but then the next week we went back he still couldn't get treatment mm. because platelets were still not still good. Low, yeah. So the third week we went back and we still could not get treatment. I was, I was just almost like cry city. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could not even talk to people because I was so upset about it. And all they would do is say his platelets aren't you know, high enough. He can't get treatment. Well, Sometime, if somebody had just sat us down and explained that happens, we're going to let them get built back up. Everything is still working. Evidently, the chemo is working because your platelets are so low. And, uh, and we just need to wait until it's built back up because it's dangerous to have treatment if your platelets are low. And some of the things that if we had just known a little bit, we were just like in the dark and having not been with people who have had cancer before. I mean, I, we had friends, but nobody in our family. I just didn't, we didn't know how to um, accept all those. We can't get treatment things. And so I immediately went and I was talking to the PA, the doctor wasn't there. And she's and I and I could hardly even speak because I was in such tears. And and she said, why do I feel like you're saying you want a second opinion? I said, because <laughs> that is what I'm saying. And I said, I want to go to Duke and I want to have someone else look at his case. And so they set us up with an appointment and we went and. And the very next week, he was able to get treatment. But I feel like most of the time, people are going into this when they start their, with blinders on. Mm -hmm. And 
it would help so much if we'd had somebody that could have just reassured us that um, that it's going to be okay. You know, that even though we couldn't get treatment, the one treatment that he got, it really must have done a good number because he can't get his numbers back up high enough to get another treatment. And after um, when we were able to start getting treatment again, um, our doctor cut the dosage by 20%. And since that time, he has not had a problem with not being able to get treatment, except the one time with the heart thing. Hmm. But then after he got on some medication, he was able to go and get it then. But um, but sometimes I feel like you're just, if you could just not be in the dark about some of this, when you first get started, um, that would be helpful. Yeah, I don't remember, you know, my dad had a lot of those glitches, you know, in the sense that he wasn't able to get the chemotherapy because of the, the platelet being so low. And, you know, I don't remember anyone ever telling us that. And I don't think that's something that, you know, maybe, maybe it is mentioned and maybe, you know, you're, we're all in that fog, you know, when we're going into that first appointment and you yeah. know, talking to the oncologist about that. And so, but that is something that I think is important that you just mentioned is, you know, that there, there are glitches along the way. And I think for those listening at home have to understand, but something that I've heard a lot probably more than we should have on this podcast is if you don't ask, you don't get, you know, and yeah. you have to be your biggest advocate because a lot of times uh, you could be at some yeah. of the major centers, the best center even in the world. And if you don't ask, you know, you're not going to get, um, and, and that I think is really not the doctor's fault. I don't think it's a, the fault of the clinician. I think it's a systematic issue, quite honestly, Laura, because I think, you know, the way that, and I know your daughter's a, a, you know, a doctor and a physician, and I think it's just a training thing, you know, and I think whether it's uh, an institutional thing that has been instructed by the clinicians or the, the staff, um, you know, it's frustrating because I know I remember going through my own experience with my dad. There were so many times when I was like, it seems so like it should just be a given, but we've got to ask for it, you know? Yeah. And I, and I guess one thing is that they, this is what they do every day, all day yeah. long. Yeah. And, and so it does get to be kind of, I don't want to say mundane, but it's just, they don't know now the things that, Oh, maybe we need to make sure we tell them that. Yeah. And one other thing that we didn't know about at first that, another cancer patient told us about um, is taking Claritin. Um, oh, yeah. After you have your new Lasta shot, yep. then for five to six days, you take Claritin. Well, we just started taking Claritin and we hadn't stopped taking Claritin. <laughs> it, <laughs> we take Claritin every morning. <laughs> it works. It works. That's a great, that's a great, that's a great thing to mention here. Yeah. And so a lot of people don't even know about things like that, but that's what um, helps if people who are listening maybe haven't heard of that. But I think that was just kind of somebody just tried it. I mean, it wasn't because, oh, somebody researched it and figured out that it helped, but it helps with the achiness and the oh, bones. Yeah. yeah that the bone are achiness. Yeah. 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 Cause that and new last shot. Why. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. new last shot's really, uh, really a pain, uh, literally. <laughs> 
you know, for all the patients and, um, you know, the Claritin does uh, do that. And then some, maybe it's something that's in the Claritin and it could be trial and error, who knows. But yeah. as, as we've always said on this podcast, you know, uh, you know, if there's things that work, I think, you know, everyone has to try them, whether it's, uh, you know, topicals, things that, uh, people eat, um, you know, CBD, I know that's been mentioned a lot on our podcast and, and I've, we've always advocated if it works for you, you got to try it and, and use it, yeah. um, because whatever yeah. can help you through this journey. I got a question okay. for you. Um, okay. how long have you guys been married? Uh, 51 years this summer. God bless you guys. 51 <laughs> yeah. years. That's amazing. It so, is amazing. It feels like just yesterday to use the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for that because I'm, I'm working on, uh, uh, hopefully my wife's not listening, 18 years here. Um, oh, that's great. Well, 19, 19 actually this year. Um, what was it like the first time that you had to say goodbye at the door um you mean after he started getting treatment yeah you know with this covid you know with out. covid you know like being and i know from as i mentioned in the introduction you guys have been by each other's side for 51 years right and you know through this whole journey you haven't missed a beat you've got this book it's got everything in it what was it like that first time when they said hey you know you've got to stay outside well, it was um, shocking. And did you know before was, you were going that that was going to be the case, or did you guys show up and then they were like, okay, you, you know, you can't come in? Well, um, my daughter had told me that she she didn't know for sure, but they they may not let me go in because right. of the COVID. And uh, and I said, well, they would have called and said that because they know I come every time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But but they did not. And so we really I, I mean, she had put the thought in my mind that that could happen. Mm -hmm. But we just got out of the car like we normally do. And we both had on our mask and we had our lunches all with us, and mm -hmm. all our stuff. And we walked up to the door and that's when it's, they said no visitors. Mm -hmm. uh, and that. Yeah, that was pretty that was pretty hard. And, and I just, and Robert first, he said, well, just go on home and then you can come back and I'll let you know. And you can come back. I said, I am not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I will be right out here in this car. <laughs> and, uh, and if, you know, anything comes up, cause honestly on those, on times that you are not going to get your treatment, those, four times that we've been there and that happens, that is a real slap in the face. Yeah. You have to have somebody there that's kind of saying it's going to be okay. And even though I might be feeling in my heart, this ain't okay, <laughs> but you got to have somebody that, you know, can kind of say and bolster the person that's, you know, that's being told that, that, you know, we'll, we'll come back. But, we hugged and I kissed him and the nurse at the door, I knew because she had been our nurse several mm -hmm. times. And I said, you take care of him. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I gave her my book that I usually take in there. And I said, um, please write down all his vitals and stuff. And so that it was, they were really good about doing that. And, and now when 
um, he's had to see Dr. Mentor twice that I didn't get to go. And so what I get him to do is he FaceTimes with me and then um, Dr. Mentor will sometimes even hold the phone. And um, one of the times his numbers has have gone up, mm-hmm. his uh, marker, um, his CA-199 has started going up. And um, so it had gone up again. It steadily started rising um, since about April, I believe. And um, and so Dr. Mentor, he said, now, I'm going to, um, he said, I went and talked to three other um, partners that I have, and we all have decided uh, between us that it's not time to change the chemo because the scans still are showing that it has not gone to any other organ besides his lung Mm -hmm. and and the pancreas the mass in his pancreas has not grown any bigger said so even though the cancer marker is saying something's up we don't think it's time to change the chemo mainly because there there's only a couple more chemos that you can try Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so um he said we feel like that we need to get as much out of this chemo as we can so that was really hard for robert to have to be there by himself hearing that and i i really hate that more than anything but dr mentor was he was kind enough to let us do the facetiming where he could talk to both of us and um and that was helpful and um the other time that um i didn't get to go in with him was um it was just a visit time but he has been real good about uh letting us record the information because sometimes when you are in there and you think you're hearing everything you come out thinking, now, what did he say about yeah. so-and-so? So we now record our sessions in there, and he does not mind at all. And and it's a good way for me to be able to let the girls know, and they on. can hear it firsthand, and they're not having to hear hear it from me. You know, And maybe I don't get something right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's the, you know, and I've, I, I learned this in my own personal experience, you know, and I've said this, whenever I talk to families is, you know, the patient's worried about, you know, the cancer, the loved one's worried about the patient. Um, and, and it's hard sometimes, you know, if people don't have, uh, an extra air or an extra person to go with them to listen yeah. and take yeah. that in because it, it is a lot, but I think what, you know, you have done, you know, with this book is, is really fascinating because it probably, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it gives you an opportunity to take a step back after, take everything in and then process it Yeah, in, in a non-emotional way. Because I think a lot of times what happens, patients have this emotionality that, oh my God, like I've got to start chemo. I've got to do this. This happened. We've got to do this. And, you know, yeah. emotion 
you got to remove emotion from any of these decisions. You've got to, you've got to think rational. Um, you can't think emotionally. And I think that, and, and, you know, I mean, we can use that as a, as an acronym, maybe for everything that we do where we can, if you can remove emotion and think of it from a rational standpoint, you know, the world will be a lot better place, but you can also make more informed decisions and know what course you should take. So it's really fascinating analogy here with the book because I feel that gives you the opportunity to do that. And then, like you said, you can then communicate with your daughters and the rest of the family as you make decisions as a family, which I'm sure happens. Yeah, and that that is that's true. Well, one of the other things that's uh, I think important to have a copy of, and we have that in our book, is all the medications mm-hmm. and the, um, you know, the dosage and how, when it's given and stuff, because um, how long has it been when you had that temperature? It's been about a month, about a month ago. Um, you had a high um, temperature, correct? I think that yeah, was when we first yeah. connected. And I heard the story from Laura Jane that and where the book came in handy, and I was going to bring this up, was he had to be rushed to the ER, and yes. you sent him in with the book, and <laughs> you waited out in the parking lot, I heard, and Laura Jane said, I had to go go to the parking lot, because I know mom would sleep in the parking lot by herself, <laughs> and she didn't want to leave you out there in the parking lot. But it was yeah. good that you had the book, because the ER, and this is where I think this is critical, hopefully if our audience listening at home understands this, you know, you if you're not home or if you're traveling or if you have to go to the ER and you're not seeing your normal oncologist, they know nothing about what your treating what your treatment looks uh, like. True, so true, so true, and and I mean, and plus, I know for myself, sometimes when I'm at the doctor and if I'm there and I'm sick, I can't sometimes remember all the medications yeah, that yeah, I take. Yeah. And uh, or especially I might can remember the medications, but I might not know what dosage it is. And so, I mean, it's just uh, things like that are critical for people who don't know you. Absolutely. um, And Robert's had he's having a hard time with his hip. And during this covid stuff, he finally decided he was going to go to an orthopedic person well of course they wouldn't let me come in either so <laughs> so i i sent my book with him and i said you make sure he knows all, all this information yeah. because he will know nothing about you oh that's critical and, uh, yeah and so he he did and when they were talking and stuff and he immediately he said oh it's bone on bone you know, we do robotic surgery now. And he said, this won't be any big deal. But then when Robert told him that he, you know, had cancer and then started telling them about that part of his health, then he knew that, no, we wouldn't be going down a, that road. So, um, but it it helps to be able to have that stuff so you can show the doctor and when they ask questions and you can turn right to it and give them the information. Oh, it's powerful. It's powerful. So hopefully our audience, I mean, I know it's, it's work, but I think, you know, you, you guys are battling here. The, the, one of the toughest cancers, if not the toughest cancer. And I think these are so 
critical nuggets that you guys are sharing. Like this is so critical that to know everything that you possibly can about this so that doctors yeah. and yourself and your family can make the right decisions. Yeah. And that and that's really critical. And and this is the things we talk about here and and you know and raising awareness and the things that people should be aware about the disease. This is not like any other cancer. And so it, it's critical to know this. So I appreciate yeah. you sharing that information with our audience. It's it's been really special to hear and and I just love I, I love the book idea. I just made a note. You know, we do some. I, I know you guys received the face mask and the and the face mask yeah. and the blanket, but I love that uh, binder idea. Maybe we could find a way to offer that to patients as a service. Would be awesome. Yeah, oh, that I agree totally. <laughs> and I I can't tell you how many people. It seems lately that we are hearing more and more of our friends that are having going down a journey similar to this. And that's the first thing I tell them about is start keeping a record of everything, yeah. all your blood work, every doctor visit you go to. And um, I mean, it will just, it has paid off many times for us already. If, even if it only paid off one time, it would it's worth be it. worth it. Absolutely. And I mean, I think also, and I put notes in it and that's a, um, you know, Things like he was not feeling very well today. And then you can kind of go back and say, okay, wonder why that is. Okay, this must be the day after his treatment that he's going to have kind of low energy and not feel real good. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you it just kind of can. It's it's honestly like keeping a food uh, diary. Um, well, it's a, a lot of map. people. It's like yeah. a roadmap to what you guys have yeah. been going through and, and ways that you can look back. And, and, you know, like you said, days you can figure out potentially like when he'll feel good and have the ability to do things and live life yeah. and, exactly. and do all those things. Exactly. Well, I I truly love talking to you. I I would um I wish I could just come up there and help you. <laughs> I think what you're doing is absolutely um, such a gift and Robert, I have not listened, but to one of the podcasts, but Robert has listened to many of them and just hearing people's journey and knowing that the other people out there and people are praying for others that are on this journey. And that is powerful. And it's, um, I, I can't tell you, I just love what you're doing. And I think that's, um, I'm sorry that you had to lose your father to this, but uh, something good has come out of that. And with you helping other people. So thanks. Uh, he would be very, very proud of you. I am sure. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'm going to let you speak back to Robert. Okay. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Okay, so Nina, you know the strength in our family because you just talked and listened to Laura. <laughs> She's the rock. She's the She's rock. She's the rock. She is the rock. And I, and I will tell you this, my family um, is the rock in my life on this whole journey. They're all involved in it. They're all concerned. And, and Laura just mentioned this. We are a family of faith. We've had many prayers 
that we know have been answered in, in ways that we'd never understand. But uh, our faith and our God is all powerful. And we know that. And as Christians, we've just relied on that faith. And, and we know this journey on this earth is a journey for everyone, whether mm-hmm. you end up with a, a disease or not. Um, it's, it is a journey and family and faith are, are just so critical. But Laura is is absolutely a rock in this whole process. Well, one of the things that I've heard on your podcast that I want to just briefly touch and and you uh, you always are interested in people's journey, how they detected or mm-hmm. or what symptoms they had. And, and I will tell you as a, and, and I, one of the things I've learned listening to your podcast that have been, and I haven't listened to that many of them, but this affects a whole age range of people. There are times when I thought, and, and a lot of the things you read will tell you that it's, it mostly surfaces in people that in their late sixties, early seventies, mm-hmm. and may have been a, may have been something in progress for years and years. But then I listened to, to people in their thirties and forties, and probably you've had people younger mm-hmm. that have been diagnosed. But for those out there that are mid sixties, I will tell you that in my case, I was, I experienced some, what I would call minor back pain. Hmm. And when I say minor, it was not a, it wasn't a constant and, um, it was not uh, debilitating when it happened. And then about the same time frame, I'm not going to get too detailed in all this journey of this, but I started when we would eat, my stomach and my digestive system would be just, um, would be making lots of adjustments and noises and i'll never forget laura telling me one night she said because we both heard it and she said we have got to we've got to find out what's going on that's not normal so hmm. i think the key for for anybody if things begin to change and i look back even further than that realize that some other things had changed just slightly but it was it immediately sent us to our gp who is a wonderful uh, doctor Went there actually it's a husband and wife team, a Dr. Raman and Dr. Schumacher. But we initially did some early things like took x-rays and found a little bit of curvature in my spine. And my doctor told me that could have been a that could be the source of the back pain. Mm-hmm. And then I will tell you, just like most people, I tried my best to self-diagnose and and figure out this was maybe a uh, kidney stone or kidney infections, things that I have not had in my life, but I knew could cause those kind of pains and would be a much better diagnosis than what I ended up getting. But I'd say don't ignore signs that your body gives you. And at at an age of 70, as I was, don't just discount it to being 70 years old. There'll be changes that come about because of that, but there are other changes that are that are maybe trying to tell you a story. But through that, we did we ended up through our GP, um, one of our about our second or third appointment to try to figure out what was going on. My daughter had mentioned to my wife that we maybe ought to request an ultrasound, and we did. And and I'll never forget Dr. Raman kind of settling back in his. Uh, on his stool and saying, you know, 
I believe we we should do a CT scan. Hmm. And so the CT scan started us on our way. We did it that night at a local hospital. And then about two nights later, we redid it for clarification. And I'm sure my intuition was I knew something was up and they needed, obviously needed clarification. But those early symptoms, I'm sure, are critical. And I, it's, it's shocking to me as a, as a pancreatic cancer patient, and I consider myself a survivor at this point for over two years, um, the number of pancreatic diagnoses each year in this country, and I believe it's approaching 56,000 people a year being diagnosed with a cancer that we don't know enough about, and I think that's where your podcast or so important in your awareness programs too. So it's, it's, um, I would, that would be a little piece of advice I'd give to anybody. If you're, if you feel like there are changes going on, no matter what they are with your body at whatever age to, to not delay and not, not put it off. I I've heard stories of people having things going on that they just ignored. I don't know how you could ignore it for too long, but uh, that would that'd be a key in in our case. I think even though we think things have gone on for a long time, and in my case, my cancer is entwined with um, veins and arteries that is we don't have the option of a Whipple operation, and um, so we're just thankful that the chemotherapy is working. We're thankful that I can tolerate it. And other than that um, time frame that Laura mentioned where we had problem with the, the uh, platelets, mm-hmm. we, the, the journey and the process, it's changed our life. We know what we're going to do every Tuesday afternoon. And then we know the cycle we're going to see the doctor, but it is part of our life. And it's uh it's it's a routine that I feel like is prolonging and saving my life at this point. And thank the Lord, it is working. It is working well. So uh, I just say to anyone, don't ignore symptoms. Well, I know we we talked a couple weeks ago, or last week, week before, and I know one thing that really struck me, Robert, when when you mentioned this was you had some business partners. I believe, and you said, you know, you you weren't thinking cancer. They were sick. You didn't think about, you know, like, you know, getting sick or having, you know, something like this, you know. And I, and but I, I you know, in, in fairness, you know, the problem with this disease, and this is where, you know, you mentioned, and thank you for mentioning, you know, bringing the awareness to this and the and the the factors of, you know, what what are the symptoms. Well, they're so vague, right? Like minor back pain. You're you're saying like, yeah, you had a little bit of back pain, and you know, at at seventy or in your late sixties, like, you know, we know from just from a pure standpoint of of human beings, as we get older, we are going to start to experience pains, and things are going to start to happen as we age. That's just the aging process, and you know, eating. You know, eating is so obscure, right? Like you, like I, I, I've got a pretty good stomach. At least I think I have a good stomach, but I could have, you know, dairy now and it just wrecks me, absolutely wrecks me, which, you know, three years ago I could have a whole gallon ice cream and I'd be fine go out and run, you know, four or five miles. 
the next day. So, uh, you know, in fairness to you, you know, talking about minor back pain and eating, you know, that just kind of felt funny to the general population could be something so obscure, but the awareness of what we do and sharing these stories is so critical because as you said, like if you know something's up and I've always said people know their bodies the best, right? And if you know something's up and you know, the self-diagnosis just is not like, Hey, that's not, (laughs) that's not equal. And you know, what's going on or, you know, what you're hearing from your GP, you know, is not making sense or is not, is not happening, you know, in sense of them saying, well, it's, you know, something that we don't think is a big deal, but it's, continuing to happen. You really got to self-advocate for yourself. And I, I think that's like a frustrating thing, you know, cause we don't have early detection. We don't have any clinical diagnostic tests other than like a CT scan or an, or an MRI, you know, that has the contrast dye that will, you know, a, a tumor will ping on the, on the scans. You know, there's nothing like, you know, prostate, there's a PSA test, um, you know, other cancers, testicular cancer, clearly um, people can tell when, when they have lumps. Uh, breast cancer, same thing. Uh, breast cancer also has mammograms, colonoscopies. You know, you can go in and have a colonoscopy and they can see right away, you know, if there's uh, tumors or polyps. So it's it's really frustrating, you know, and that that's kind of been the challenge, I think, for myself and for our organization you know, is that there is no early detection. Now there's a lot going on in that space. It's just not happening fast enough. But, you know, I I think that's the one thing to get back to why I wanted to talk about this here for a second was that, you know, it's really powerful to hear people talk about what you just said, because I think that's a lesson that our audience, I hope, takes with a powerful lesson to understand that if they don't feel right, like really advocate for yourself. And as minor as these things may seem like a minor back pain, um, you know, you really gotta, really gotta make sure that you really understand what's going on with your body and understand it. And I would, I would agree. Some things are just, um, hopefully going to be minor. You know, I would love to, (laughs) <laughs> the source of my back pain to have been that minor curvature of the spine. Uh, but at the end, it wasn't. But I do think you've got to be uh, your own advocate. You can't just accept that things are going to happen over time. And, and they do. But it is critical. It is very critical. And you mentioned uh, the fact that I had two business partners. We were, we were all retired appraisers. And both of those uh, partners had a history in their families of pancreatic cancer. One of them, his mother had died with pancreatic cancer about mm. 20 years before. And then the other one, he had, uh, he had a, his mother and two brothers. So absolutely they should have been concerned and were concerned about that. And thank the Lord to this day, neither one of them has, um, had any issue and they're both very health conscious about that. And, and, but there are things that, you know, we just don't know sometimes, but, um, and I feel very thankful that we discovered what we discovered is, I don't know that it was early. I've read and heard that, um, sometimes it takes years for all this to develop 
And then by the time it's, it's, it's their symptoms, it's almost too late to do anything. It's, it's yeah. far advanced. It's not too late ever to do anything, but it's, it's in an advanced stage. And that's, that's part of this awareness and this research that, um, goes on that I hope is going to change the whole landscape of pancreatic cancer. When you've got 56, 57,000 people a year being diagnosed every year, and then hopefully research will come into that. I, the, one of the, the first doctor I talked to, and I, I had shared this with you because I thought he had an interesting name, but he was with the Levine Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, but his name was Dr. Martini. Oh, yeah. If you think of the martini and the cocktail that is mixed for um, chemotherapy, it just fit. But he told me, I mean, he he pretty well agreed with the other scan doctors, people that had scanned and said, we think this scan is showing us you have pancreatic cancer. He agreed with that, but we didn't have a diagnosis. But he did say this. He said, we... And he was talking about the cancer research and the cancer fighters out there. He said, I, he said, we are on the cutting edge of finding something that's going to make a big difference in this fight against pancreatic cancer. And he mentioned several things that, uh, we might be able to do down the line, just depending on how mine went. He knew I wasn't a uh, candidate for surgery. And he probably knew of other things people had experienced. But I will tell you this, Dino, and I wish this for everyone that would hear this out out there. And I wish this if they were in treatment. My treatments have been wonderful. I've been able to tolerate after the first initial adjustments. So tolerate the the little bit of downtime I have, I I've now can recognize and I'll and I'll give into it. That's the best thing I can do. But it's not severe. It doesn't last long. And uh, there are some wonderful things. I, I talked to a gentleman. I have talked to a few people that friends have um, referenced to me knowing that I have pancreatic cancer. But this gentleman was in his 90s. Mm-hmm. And a good friend of one of those business partners that I talked to you about a little while ago. And he wanted me to talk to this gentleman. but uh, And I did. And he was real interesting. What he had heard about what the treatment was like was the really harsh, the really part we all used to hear about the treatment for any cancer being worse than the cure from years ago when they didn't have the the anti-nausea and the mm-hmm. steroids and the things that really help you tolerate. But I remember talking to this 94-year-old man, and I encouraged him as much as I could to talk to his doctor and see uh, what he would prescribe and to for his doctor to tell him the things he thought would occur. But he, he had a very dark picture. And at the time I was talking to him, his thought was he was not going to have any treatment. And I don't know. I don't really know how that's been lately. I hadn't talked to him in, in a couple of months, but I just think there are options for anyone out there and the awareness of your options awareness of the of the good drugs that are out there that'll help you with your cancer and that'll, that'll help you with your treatments or or something that everybody ought to hear about the the bad stories out there i listened to one of your podcasts and you were asking about the internet and all and i will tell you this i've not spent much time if any on the internet trying to figure out my own diagnosis 
or my own treatment of what I should be doing. They're just, there's, there's some, probably some good news out there and some good stories, but there are a lot of really um, scary things out there too. I try to listen to my doctor. I try to be my own best advocate. Uh, we pray about it. We are thankful for the way things are going. And my family is the, is the best support um, that anyone can have. And I hope for everyone to have good family support because it really takes that. I was diagnosed just before um, in the spring of 2018. Of course, we had a lot of, uh, we had Mother's Day coming up. We had Easter coming up. We had Father's Day. We, we spent, spent all of those holidays together. And I'll tell you that, that they're all important and it's, but the everyday support that your family gives and the special things that they can um, share with you or any patient, it's just important, very important. Family is for me, the strongest part of this whole walk so far, family and faith together. And I made a note here, and as before we started recording, as I always do, I, I mentioned uh, I was be taking notes and I, and I had, two questions. I have a couple of questions here, but I had family and faith and I drew a line and connected them here as I, I heard Laura and you say that again. I want to, I want to talk about family as, as we get close to father's day and being a father and having three daughters. And I know when we spoke originally a couple of weeks ago, you talked about each daughter individually and how proud you were. And, you know, Laura mentioned how, you know, your, your, your daughter set up the fencing and, you know, <laughs> you have this routine and, and, you know, still seeing them um, even through this pandemic. And, and I know that's hard and, and I've experienced that um, just with my mom, you know, just going to see them, uh, see her, I should say, with my kids. <clears throat> what does it mean, you know, getting to another Father's Day, though, you know, battling this? for you? Um, it means everything. And I will tell you the things you just mentioned, our whole family has done the social distancing. We've had a lot of time together when we're 10 to 15 feet apart, sitting in the outdoors. And um, the, the visits we've had and, and surviving in the little uh, Ken Dolf area. And I say that it's like a playpen with <laughs> movable pieces. It was used for my uh, three-year-old grandson. His name is Gant. First name is Gant. So oh, that, that goes well. Yeah. And his, he and his sister Scarlett will visit with us on the edge of that little fence. They're not going to touch us. They won't come into it. And we've had two wonderful visits. They, they live about a hundred miles away, but you know, we're a, a three or four month period not to see grandchildren, but um, two times in person. Now we do a lot of FaceTiming and other things, but Father's Day coming up, every every day is a gift. Father's Day is a gift, and uh, my family has been a gift to me for a long time. But we were mentioning, uh, well, we mentioned a lot of things, but. I will tell you, at one point, my oldest daughter, when I, and I'm not trying to revert back to the beginning of this, but I needed that lung biopsy, and she lived in a neighborhood, had a friend whose husband ended up doing that lung biopsy, but he was on a camping trip, 
And my oldest daughter connected with his wife and his wife told my daughter, said, you, you tell your dad not to eat Monday morning, but my husband will do that. Biopsy. Mm. We'll, we'll know what's going on. So those kind of things. And that was just luck that we, she knew them through a neighborhood association her association there in the neighborhood. But family means everything. Father's Day, what a gift to be a father, number one. Uh, and then have more Father's Day. But I've told my young doctor, uh, who is, I believe, about 40 years old, that I want to plan to come to his retirement party, and I don't <laughs> want him retiring anytime soon. So, you know, when he's about 70 or my age, 72, if he wants to retire, I want to be there. And that's the fight that we're in, and my whole family is fighting that with us. Special so, stuff. Uh, Special stuff. I've well, got... I just I just hope some of this will help somebody out there. I think I think Laura's um, record keeping. I'll give her more credit than she'll ever give herself. She's <laughs> always been a a great record keeper. We actually met in an accounting class at Winthrop University one <laughs> summer, and uh, she was the person that had it all together. And it, at one point, had to counsel me and help me get through a practice set of accounting principles so she's very good at record keeping and she knows the value of it and it's been invaluable but um you know just like in your case you know you're coming up on father's day and i think you mentioned you have two sons and it's it's special and it's very special for me i will tell you there are times i forget i've got this diagnosis hmm. and that's a wonderful thing too i don't forget it to the point it it um, hampers anything I'm going to do or any treatment I'm going to take, but it's nice that I feel that well and I'm in, in an environment that I can't forget it for a while. I hope that for all the patients. I sometimes feel like I'm the uh, healthiest person that walks in the treatment center and because I see a lot of people that are a whole lot sicker than I am. I've seen that from day one. Down that first Father's Day, uh, we worked sure we'd have another father's mm -hmm. day so it was really a special father's day. yeah I, and laura was just saying i mentioned that first year we had all those holidays that came up after with easter and mother's day and then father's day and, you know we celebrated them as if just like we all have no guarantee of tomorrow nobody does and we celebrated just that way we didn't know if we'd have another uh, any of those holidays, Father's Day, and we had we just enjoyed the time. We still do. We hadn't. We don't miss an opportunity to be together. Other than this, COVID nineteen has put a real kink in that. <laughs> We're going to unkink that one of these days, and be fine. We did see something phenomenal that first um, year of diagnosis, and I believe it was right around Father's Day. It might have been a little earlier, but we had a. There's something that goes on in the Smoky Mountains in North Carolina. It's a, a firefly phenomenon, for lack of a better word, that goes on. But there are these millions of fireflies that for several nights put on this firefly show. But I've never seen it in my life. And it was one of those occasions we were at our home in, in Irmo, South Carolina. And that evening, the early evening, the skies were just covered with fireflies. I've never seen that in my life. 
And we were all amazed at it. Hadn't seen it since. And right now in North Carolina, that phenomenon is going on somewhere in the in the Great Smokies. And we've not gone to that. But it was almost a sign and a signal we had from God that things are going to be okay. And there's nothing, nothing wrong with those signs. And, you know, I think we all ought to live our days as if we don't, we have no guarantee of tomorrow and you need to enjoy today. And a treatment day for us is a celebrated day because we think it's doing its work and we're glad to get to that treatment. And in that time, we, we go to treatment on Tuesdays and my oldest daughter has labeled that terrific treatment Tuesday. So. That's, you know, that's sort of the approach we have to it. We're just thankful for the days. We're thankful for the treatment and the, and the good doctrine. And I am thankful for my family. I will tell you that. Powerful stuff. I, I've got a couple of questions here and something that just came up. And then, you know, I said I've been taking notes here. There's a fascinating arc here that I just wrote down. And so you met Laura in accounting class. And if you think, you know, you mentioned, you know, like, the bookkeeping and organization and everything. And, and that's how you guys met. And then this whole journey that you guys have been on building a family over 51 years plus, cause you guys have been married for 51. Maybe you were together before that. Uh, I don't think you got married on the first day you met each other, but I won't assume here. Um, but you know, then you, then we talked early on about the book and how this is like a lifesaver and how it's come in handy in so many cases, you know, during this journey with pancreatic cancer. So it's fascinating, you know, the, the, the accounting aspect and, you know, just the organization and what accounting is and how that has impacted your life, you know, for a really like beautiful thing of meeting Laura, you know, taking that class and meeting her in that class. And then, you know, the, the the book helping you here, you know, in this journey with pancreatic cancer and I wouldn't say saving your life, but making a, a dramatic positive impact in your life when you need it the most right now. So it's just fascinating to me to have that arc, you know, when you mentioned you met her in accounting class, it's like, oh my God, like, <laughs> you know, you, you have this, this, this arc here and everything. I, I, I've got a question for you. You talk a lot about faith and just the positive attitude. And I've always said mindset, you know, can can be such an amazing, powerful tool that people have. And, and just to hear you talk and to hear Laura talk, you have this set mindset. And this is kind of a loaded question. The faith that you've had you know, was that instilled with your family? Was it something that you and Laura decided early on when you guys started dating or when you got married? Or was it like the way you were raised and your that positive mindset? You know, did is that something that came from a parent, from an experience, possibly, Robert? That's so it's a, two questions, the faith aspect and then the positive mindset. But I have a feeling they kind of go together hand in hand, but I won't assume that. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that I think it does go together, and I'll I'll speak for Laura and I both. We were both raised by really um, uh, grounded parents, and they were grounded in their faith, and that was a big part of both our lives from the earliest time I can remember. Mm. And um, 
And you have to remember our our parents were the generation that had lived through uh, the great the Great Depression, as it was known in the in the early Great Depression back in the twenties and thirties, and really hard times. So um, I think that positive attitude. I I remember my parents were um, just like most parents. They they had a very positive outlook. Things that had been so hard for them earlier as it was for this whole country and uh, in the Great Depression made the things that they have seem like such a gift. And they lived simple lives. Both our parents and both our lives coming up, Laura and I both were simple uh, everyday lives. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I think their, their positive attitudes, I remember both my parents were very positive people. They enjoyed their work. They enjoyed their families as I think uh, most people did after going through anything you go through hard makes you closer. And I think a lot of the depression era families were that way, but those, those values were instilled to Laura and I through our different families. We didn't grow up in the same town and we did both grow up in South Carolina, but, um, and faith was a big part of both our families. I can tell you that our faith background from an early age. And it was just always part of our early marriage life. And it's a big part of our life now. So um, we recognize, and, and Laura just said this, it has strengthened. Mm -hmm. We realize that prayers have been directly answered for us and for me. And I will tell you this, Dino, we, we had occasion. We knew, we knew lots of people that have been affected by, really bad cancers but personally for us we had been pretty exempt and then to later get this diagnosis we did we never said why why us why me it's you know it's it's the the evolution i think of a lot of things people live longer today i hope to live many more years and in, in that living longer, things are now being diagnosed with our bodies that maybe weren't even diagnosed years ago. But but our faith has grown. We have our faith has grown not only for us, but for our family and people that know us. They know that we give the Lord the credit for this healing experience. And um, we're going to Monday for a scan. And I can tell you the pucker factor will be. Um, a little tight, a little more tense on mm -hmm. Monday. I had somebody tell me early on, said, now don't let, don't get scanophobia, but it's impossible not to get that. Yeah. So, you, you know, you do all the things you think are right. You feel good. You try to uh, get exercise and do all the other things that'll help you. But those scans tell the story. And uh, it's sort of a, it's like taking an exam. It's the best feeling in the world when the numbers and the and the and the no change comes about or the shrinkage comes about. But I don't know if I answered your question. No, you no, did. You did. And, faith, and I wanted to just, just positive people. I'm sure influenced both of our lives. We've both been amazed how parallel a lot of that was. And and yes, I'm gonna revert back a little bit too. Yes, we did start dating but the slow guy that i am we were in, 
we were in two sessions of summer school together, and I asked Laura out the last night that I could possibly ask her out that summer, and and I was smitten from that point on. So it's been a great journey. We were married a year later. Uh, we dated in August of '68. We were married in August of '69. And it's been almost a 51-year journey to date. It's been a wonderful journey. Well, fate fate made that happen. You waited to the yes. last minute, and the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> uh, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Not 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 to put any pressure on you. I know I brought that up. I did. You know, not that. I'm glad you corrected that. We want to make sure we got the facts right. You know, going back to the faith, and I think this is an important. A very powerful message here and, and something that I, I have to say, as I said, I think early on, like, you know, from a research perspective, I would love to do this um, at some point, you know, interviewing so many survivors, like faith is such a big part in everyone's life. Now, regardless of what you believe in, but there there's faith that's such a strong part and why people are doing so good in their journeys and in that fight and surviving and beating this thing. So I, I truly believe it would be fascinating to break this down from a research perspective to see, you know, people that, you know, follow, hey, if, you, if you're Jewish, if you're Catholic, if you're Christian, if you're Islam, but you actually practice that faith and you have a strong, you know, following of that faith to see where that arc is in terms of survivability and also quality of life, because I, I, I think it'd probably be on the higher end, quite honestly, uh, because I, I, you know, again, from talking to so many survivors, like faith always comes up as such a strong part of their persona, of their life, of their family and, and what they do. And, and that's, I think, really critical for people listening. You know, and I'm not saying that I think people need to go out and find faith, but I think people of faith, um, you know, it's a powerful message. You know, it gets you through a lot of crazy things. And this is a crazy thing to deal with, pancreatic cancer. And, and faith is a powerful thing to have on your side <clears throat> when you go through this yeah. journey. Hey, that that's a powerful statement you made. That'd be interesting research to see. And I would, I would just say if there's a person out there that um, is listening and does not have faith, I would encourage them to try to find that that's a that's something i think anybody going through uh, a journey like this it doesn't have to be pancreatic cancer there are a lot of hard journeys in life mm -hmm. but and there's a lot of hard cancers but i'd say if you don't uh, try to find it try to go out and explore it you owe that to yourself it could make a difference in your journey Absolutely. And th and that kind of, that's a great segue to my next question that I was going to have for you was what advice would you give to someone recently diagnosed? You mentioned faith. Is there anything else, Robert, that you would mention to someone who's listening to this that may just be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer? You know, Dino, I, I just think back to when we first started with this, it was so, um, the, just hearing that news is overwhelming. And I, I would say, yeah, I would probably try my best, just like when we had our initial, after we got diagnosed and we we're having our initial visits with a nurse at our SCOA center, 
they do give you information. But honestly, sometimes I think you're in such uh, shock. A little bit of it is so new to people is to try to have somebody with you. And I think that's easily done in most times. And then try to try to keep records of what you've been told. I, I know in our own case, we've referenced back to that first booklet uh, many times that we got in our meeting with the nurse to tell us what to expect because it, it laid it out. But sometimes I think you're numb to what's going on. But I'd say try to keep keep those. Um, I don't want to encourage everybody to keep the detailed records we did, but Lord, it's been such a help. We re- reference it so much, but just try to understand that that you can go back to it. You don't have to understand it all initially, and you won't. I've learned something new with this um, through this two-plus-year process. Almost every time I get treatment, I I said, I wish I could remember what this was. About a couple of weeks ago, I said to Laura, oh, I get it. Now, I understand now why. I I remembered a question Hmm. that I asked. And, you know, you always hear they're not really dumb questions, Dina. And they're really not. But I asked a question when we were first diagnosed of our nurse about the fact that we love to go to the mountains in the summer. And and I don't think this is still a dumb question, but <laughs> could I just get my chemo and take it with me to the mountains? And could I get a center up here to administer? Well, yeah. I didn't realize that I, I take two different chemos along with steroids and other things, but they, they're mixed on demand. You yeah. go in, have blood work, and then if all the preliminary blood work's okay, they start mixing the, uh, I'm taking a Braxane and... Um, Genzar. Yep. Your own little cocktail. Right. That's my cocktail. Well, anyway, I thought back to that question. I asked that nurse and I was thinking, golly, she probably thought that was the dumbest question. (laughs) Somebody hadn't even started, but I'd say just, you know, you'll have questions and people know the answers. Just ask them. And they're glad to share them with you. Sometimes you just have to ask them. Yeah. And I, I just say to somebody first diagnosed, it's going to be a numbing shocking revelation even days and weeks and i'd say give yourself a little leeway to learn the process and know that it can work for you it, and you be your you be your best advocate and have your family member advocate be your advocate too and and pray pray about it and you you can get through it and you can be a survivor that's what we want to do we want to we want to change the numbers on survivability and we want to change the awareness and that, that works together. Powerful. My last question for you, and if you've listened to the podcast and you've gotten all the way to the end, then you, you might have a little uh, precursor mm-hmm. to this question. And, and this is a loaded question. There's no right or wrong. It's probably the, one of the hardest questions that we ask, if not the hardest question. But in your own personal experience, Robert, how do you define pancreatic cancer? And, and, you know, I have heard that question and I've tried to think about it and, and I don't know, I don't know an answer from me, but I, I, I think of it as life changing, uh, routine changing, um, news that you have to deal with. Don't, 
don't let that news overwhelm you to the point you can't deal with it. But I, I don't know an answer to it. It's a life changing word that when it comes out, I, I remember the when we finally got that diagnosis and we got the secondary piece that it had spread to my uh, lungs, that was a hug and tearful moment in the doctor's office to try for Laura and I to try to deal with what we were going to be facing. Mm. So just know that it's, it's a word that's going to shudder your bones, shudder your body a little bit and cause you to, uh, your blood pressure to go up somewhat. But then once that happens, just know that you, you can deal with it. You can, you can be uh, a mighty foe for pancreatic cancer. Powerful. And just do that to the best you can. I hope that helps. I've heard you ask that question. That's a toughie. It's a, t- it's a hard one. You know, and there's no yeah, right or wrong started, to that. Yeah. I started just to cut off my phone and we wouldn't even get to that. <laughs> <laughs> that. You know, there's no right or wrong to that, Robert. And I think what you said is just powerful because I, I, I think, you know, it's uh, it's real, it's raw. Um, and that's why we asked that question because I think, you know, and what we started with here is, you know, this is all about awareness and Absolutely. the more that we Absolutely. share with our audience about that, whether they're going through it or maybe they, they may never will, but maybe that's the awareness they need to be aware of it and help us with this fight because we need help. Right. We need support. We can't do it alone. You know, there's 57,000 families or 56,000 families that will be touched by this thing this year, but we need we need five times that, you know, to, to raise the funding, to raise the awareness awareness, you know, that the more awareness we raise, the more funding we will receive and the more research that's done, the more curative treatments that will happen, the more early detection that will happen. But that all takes awareness and it takes numbers and it takes a lot of people to do that. So it's powerful stuff. My last thing for you, and this is totally up to you. If if someone is listening to this, and as we said before, maybe someone just got diagnosed or someone who has a, a similar background and has family and has faith um, or something just connected with them on this podcast, listening to you and Laura, and, and maybe they have questions about the notebook. Where's the best place if someone wanted to connect with you, if you wanted to share that with our audience? You know, probably the best place would just be my email address. <clears throat> I don't, I don't know if you have that, but it's Gant, G-A-N-T-T-R-W, at bellsouth.net. Awesome. And um, I'd be glad to share any of this or personal experience with anybody. And I, and amazingly, I've done that a few times. I mentioned the um, elderly gentleman a little while ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I've had a few other opportunities. but. Um, it's, it is, it is some, I think it's helpful to talk to somebody that's, that's actually in that journey, uh, personally. And I'd be glad to share any part of that with someone that's, uh, so if you, you're willing to share, I'm, I'm willing for you to share that. It'd be great. Well, and I just wish anybody, uh, well, that gets a diagnosis just to know that they, they can be a formidable foe themselves. And uh, hope, hopefully one day we'll look back at this 
word uh, pancreatic cancer and say, oh, yeah, remember you, remember you get that little simple blood test, you do this, that, and the other, and you have early detection. So, you know, just like so many cancers, maybe it'll be one that, that can be considered very manageable and very curable. That'd be a that'd be a hope and prayer that I have. Well, we're working towards that goal. Robert, thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast. Thank you to Laura as well for sharing her journey with you through this thing called pancreatic cancer. I took a lot of notes here and, and two that really stuck out to me, you know, is is the family, you know, the the relationship with your daughters, your wife, your grandkids, and the strength that they give you every day to fight this thing and your faith. So thank you for giving us here at Project Purple the opportunity to share your story. And as we say here at the Project Purple podcast, if you love what you hear today, please follow us where you listen to podcasts, share our podcast. And until next time, that's a wrap of the Project Purple podcast. Yeah.